Well, good morning. It's lovely to be here again. It's almost exactly a year since I was here last. So, and I think this is my fifth visit here. So, I, I'm delighted to be here. I love coming here and meeting you all. And well, those that I, I, I'm slowly getting to know and to be in your lovely place here, a place where God is served and worshipped and the people of God are blessed. I, what I, what would you say if I was asked you, to ask you, what is the, what was the most important journey that you have taken in your whole life so far? Hmm, have a think about it. Well, I thought about it and I, as God was speaking to me about what I should share with you this morning, I, I thought, well, for me, my most important journey, well, was it that very short journey from my mother's womb into the daylight of this world? Pretty important journey. Uh, and I thought about it again. I thought, well, no, there was another journey in Karachi. Um, I think it was about on my fifth or sixth visit to Pakistan. I've been 15 times for usually for three or four weeks in, in Pakistan preaching and helping the churches to grow a bit. Um, in fact, the church I went to in Karachi the first time in 1985, uh, there were 20 people, 20, 25 people in the meeting. And it was in somebody's house. They knocked all the bedrooms out into one. So that was where the church met. <laughs> and uh, now they have a church of 2,000 in the middle of Karachi and with 30 branch churches that they've opened. That's since 19, uh, 1985. And uh, I just praise God. I know they baptized, they baptized, I think, 60 new converts after my first visit there. And uh, it, was, it was a blessing to hear, hear about it. Um, and, but on this vis- particular visit, they took me to one of their branch churches on the other side of the city of Karachi, a pretty rough area. And there was a church, their branch church, with about 200 strong, and um, was going, had got their own pastor there now, but they were all sort of linked, you know. And, uh, and I know I'd almost finished preaching, I'd almost come to the end of my message, when two of the brethren came and they, they took me, and they whisked me off through the, through the back, of, back of the platform, through a door, down some steps, into a yard, into the back door of somebody's house, out of the front door, into a car in the street behind the church. Said, lie down in the back, covered me with a, with a travel rug. And drove me to the main pastor in the big church in Karachi, where I'd first gone so many years before. Took me to his house, which was a bit of a safe part of the city. I did learn afterwards that uh, there'd been a group of very strong Muslim, of course they're all, they're, they're all strong Muslims in Pakistan really, but um, uh, two guys, two or three guys with AK-47 automatic rifles, and everybody's got one, nearly everybody anyway. You see, when there's a wedding, they're all there with their rifles, shooting them in the air, you know, bang, 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 bang. You think, what's going on? You know? And um, uh, and they'd come, they'd heard that there was a white preacher there and they'd come to kill the preacher. 
And uh, I thought, well, maybe that was, was that the most important journey in my life? I thought about it a bit longer and I, I thought, well, maybe not. Maybe my journey to the church to marry my life partner and companion. Perhaps that was the most important journey in my life. I tend to think it was. Tend to think it was. I wonder what you would say about your most important journey. Because we're going to look in a moment uh, at the most important, at a very important journey that's in the Bible. And David is going to come and read to us from Luke Gospel, chapter 15, verses 11 to 22. Luke 15, 11 to 22. Thank you, David. Pardon? 11 to 22. Oh, if you wish. Okay. Yeah. Oh, have I, perhaps I've typed it wrong. <laughs> Can you hear me, Brian? Yeah. Right. Um, the reading is from Luke 15. Yes, of course. Verse 11 to 32. And it's yes. on page 1049, if you want to follow along. <laughs> the parable of the lost son. Jesus continued... There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the youngest son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. And he had spent everything. There was even a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and he is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the oldest son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called out to the servants and asked him, What was going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed a fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and you never... 
and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Yeah. Thank you, David. Yeah, thank you very much. Yes, I must have hit the wrong key on my, on my computer and got a 22 instead of a 23. <laughs> you were quite right. Well, it's an interesting story. We call it the parable of the Good Samaritan. Uh, sorry, that's something I was preaching somewhere else last week. <laughs> last week, we call it the parable of the prodigal son. Um, and uh, uh, many scholars say, well, that, that really is wrong title because it wasn't really about the prodigal son, it was really about the older brother because he was using this story Jesus was using this story to, uh, to really get at, get at the Pharisees and the scribes who were being very um, you know, aloof and uh, looking down on others and saying they're not religious enough, they're not good enough, they're not they don't keep the law, they don't do this. And he was, he was criticising their attitude uh, to their brothers uh, in, in that country. Um, and so, uh, but I, I want us to, t- to look at this, this younger brother, the, the, the prodigal, the prodigal, and the journey that he had to make. I have a text. Um, James chapter 4 verse 6 says, Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. I like that. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. I've had to preach that to myself a few times in my life. Even in more recent years, there have been one or two occasions when I've felt, Lord, I'm not quite... I'm not as near to you as I ought to be or as I want to be. Somehow I feel, I know that you're with me and you're in me and you never leave me or forsake me, but but you understand what I'm saying. I don't feel as if I'm really fellowshipping with you in the way that I ought to be. And it's a good thing to do from time to time in our lives when we feel that, if we feel at some distance, from God. For many years, when uh, when reading the, the scriptures, I I followed the advice that came more than five hundred years ago from Martin Luther, and he said that um, in order to really hear what God wants to say to us, we should ask two questions about the words that we're reading. In actual fact, he said we should ask four, but when you look at them, they boil down to two, really. And uh, these are the two questions that he, he said we should ask ourselves. First of all, what does this passage tell me? And the second one, how does this passage challenge me? That's it. How does this passage challenge me? And this morning I I want us to ask those two questions of ourselves. Now, 
I don't suppose, although I don't know, only God knows that you know where you are this morning, uh, but I don't suppose anybody is in the quite the state that the prodigal son was. In a foreign country, or you might be in a foreign country, I don't know. You might not have been born here. I don't know where, where you've come from. Um, living it up with prostitutes and, and, other, and with nothing to eat? I doubt it. I doubt it. Uh, but you get the picture I want to bring. This, this story tells me, first of all, it, it tells me three things. First of all, that I'm not in the, the right place, or he wasn't in the right place. He wasn't where he should have been. He should have been in his father's house with his father and his brother and brothers and sisters. But he wasn't. He was in a place that was not the right place. He'd given in to the worst aspects of his human nature. We've all got one. And a human nature uh, not in the right place, far from home and from his father. I would say, suggest that everybody, there will be in this gathering this morning some who were there and have made this journey that he had to make to get into the right place. And you're in that right place this morning. There are some that may well be in some measure somewhere along that journey although we're not right with God until we've stepped over that final line and felt his embrace and, 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 and done the things that we're going to talk about in a minute. We don't gradually, slowly get saved and come to Christ. We, the, the process is maybe gradual with steps in it, but the reality of it comes at the end. The reality. Uh, and then the the second thing that it tells me is that I can approach God and that he's even commanded me to. I can approach God. Now, that's a constant amazement to me. When I was younger, I took it a bit for granted, I must be honest. I was so full of the joy of the Lord, you know, and I would be up, I was always the first one up in the prayer meeting to praise God. And In fact, if they'd let me, I'd have stood on the benches. And that's lovely. I was very keen. As I've got older, I've realised what a great privilege we have in being able to even approach him, even talk to him. But he's told us to, he's commanded to. In Matthew eleven twenty eight he says he says, Come to me, all you that are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What a terrific invitation that is. God has said, come, come. Come, let us reason together, he says. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as wool, as white as snow. An invitation from God. There may be some here who haven't started this journey yet. I don't know you, so I don't know. Um, And... uh, it may be that you haven't started this journey, but somehow the fact that you are here this morning indicates to me that you're interested, you're listening to what God has got to say to you. And something is happening. And you may well start this journey 
today or in the near future. I don't know. We can approach God and that he has even commanded us to. It's the second thing we learn from this thing. The third thing that we learn from it, it that it tells me is that God will respond and meet me more than halfway. This man, <laughs> when he decided and he going to talk about his decision in a moment but eventually when he got home he found actually that his father was looking for him looking across the horizon is he back is he coming back yet is is Billy coming you know or whatever or what these days could be a lady or a gentleman are they coming and he saw him afar off I don't think it was just the only day he'd been I bet that father was out there every day looking for his boy. Is he coming? Is he coming? Our chosen text says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. To me that's become a very wonderful thing in, in, in recent years. Draw near to God. James 4 verse 6. And he will draw near to you. And he's already made the first move. Like the father had made the first move. But there he was standing on a, in a, probably in a high place somewhere where he could see a distance. Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. What a, what a marvellous picture God paints there. That is knocking at the door of your heart and of mine. I can remember so well as a teenager, 13 years of age, God knocking at the door of my heart. And me deciding pretty quickly actually to open the door and let him in. He's, he always will meet us more than halfway. In fact, he tends to make the first move. The first move. Then the second question that Mr. Uh, um, Mr. Luther said is, you should ask the question, how does this verse challenge me? How will this passage challenge me? I think there's two things it challenges me about, and has looking, it maybe challenge you. It asks me if I really do want to draw near to God and want him to be a major influence in my life. That will involve a number of things. When we look at this man's beginning of his journey, or the journey that he made, the whole journey, first of all, there was a moment of awakening, wasn't there? It says, but when he came to himself, I think the reading we had this morning from David, said it was when he came to his senses, or something like that, Yeah. He had a moment of enlightenment. He woke up. Came to... I, I, I like the old King James one there. When he came to himself. As if he'd been... As if he'd been unconscious. And how unconscious I was of the love of God and of my sad state. Even as a 13 year old. How unconscious I was. That I was lost. Yeah. But I'm so glad. I loved. I used to love that hymn. I was lost, but Jesus found me. Found the soul that went astray, and it it was a joy to me. 
moments of enlightenment. You know, we have them in all sorts of different ways, don't we? Suddenly we, suddenly, something we never realise and suddenly we wake up. Oh, yes. Uh, I remember when I was, I was 20, 21. Yes, 21. And there was this girl in the, uh, in our church in Coventry, where we where I lived. I was born while the Nazi bombs were raining down on the city uh, and, uh, in 1940, but they missed me. And, and um, I eventually, at 13, got started going to this church, got, got saved there. And um, we had about, there were about two to three, uh, well, more, th- nearly 300 in the church, I guess. It was a good-sized church, very lively. And... Um, uh, there was a girl in that church who'd been there four years. She came from Germany and um, she, they were no friends of Hitler at all. <laughs> uh, but um, um, they'd suffered through the war. And she came to do her nurses' training and midwifery training in Coventry at the hospital there. And she was a believer, born again, and came to our church. And uh, uh, she'd been there for four years. I hadn't even noticed her. In fact, she had a lovely voice and she used to sometimes sing um, and with a friend, actually, another German girl who was nursing. They'd sing lovely duets. And I'd, I don't think I'd ever even spoken to her. I might have passed the odd word. I can't remember. And then suddenly, this one day, I came to myself. And I realised, and it, it was as blunt as this, that this was the girl I wanted to spend my life with. It was it, it came just like that. It wasn't a gradual thing. I went, I went home from the meeting, and uh, tried to talk to her a little bit once or twice, and very shy. Uh, but um, I thought, well, I've got to do something here. So I had a. Um, a week's fasting and praying and uh, I just drank water all week that was all I had nothing to eat and um, you'll hear what happened in a minute Uh, but um, uh, that moment of awakening uh, the moment of awakening when I opened my heart to God was as real much even more real than that moment of awakening about this girl and I needed it have you had your moment of awakening? If you have, do you remember it? With joy and with gladness and gratitude. I hope you do. Then the second thing that challenges us in this thing that this man experienced was that he had a real personal repentance. I said, and he says, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired servants. He said this to himself first before he said it to his father. And repentance begins with us talking to ourselves. Repentance begins with dealing with ourselves. We We can't cleanse ourselves but somehow something's a realisation it's a part of this 
a part of this enlightenment that comes really that we are sinners. I didn't realise I was a sinner. How, how, how sinful can you be at 13? Come on, you know. <laughs> I wasn't living a debauched life or anything like that. I wasn't stealing. Or I wasn't on drugs. I don't think, I don't think anybody was in those days. <laughs> those, were, those were strange days. Um, in fact, I said to a friend here, but I remember those days, I worked out at the, at the garage how much petrol was costing. I'd, I told you wrong, it's not... It, it, when I worked it out, how much it is per litre in modern money, I said it was two and a half P. It wasn't, it was four and a half P. Four and a half pence a litre. <laughs> what do you pay for it now? Nearly a pound, Yeah. <laughs> Huh? More than that. One sixty, is it? One yeah, yes. Yeah. Yeah. What? I think at one time it was for one eighty, it wasn't for just half the Oh that's right, yes. Well I'm I'm talking about when it was half a crown. Yeah. <laughs> a gallon. That was a gallon, not a litre. <laughs> but um you know that repentance begins with dealing with ourselves. I will go and I will say. I will say. And what a precious thing it is. Repentance. He said it to himself first. And then there has to be an act of faith. And he arose and he came to his father. He had to do something about it. it didn't, repentance doesn't leave us standing there. Repentance moves us forward. Removes, moves us forward. We've got to get from this place we were, we were in that we found ourselves. Oh, we knew that we were sinners. I, I, you know, in those early years, I, I used to, every Sunday night we had a gospel meeting every Sunday night uh, in our church. Sunday morning was for believers. Sunday night was an evangelistic service every Sunday. Appeal was made. People came to Christ nearly every Sunday. And I used to go for, I used to put my hand up or go to the front nearly every Sunday the first few weeks because I want, you know, I knew I wasn't perfect and I, I didn't want to go to hell. I knew that was where I was bound, even at that age. And I was afraid. F- fear was one of the elements that drove me to Christ. And then I realised that He loved me and I didn't need to be afraid. It was a reality. Here I arose and I came to my father. Like this man arose and he came to his father. Have you started that journey? I hope you have. I hope, I hope in a way, part of me is hoping that I'm wasting my time saying these things because you're all there on the road, all born again of the Spirit of God and I'm, I'm, I've got it wrong to speak this way. But part of me is saying, I hope I'm right. But someone might this morning arise and start this journey to the Father. An act of faith. And then the final thing on there is that there had to be a humble confession. A humble confession. He said to the Father the things he'd said to himself. The the talk that he'd given himself, he says, and he says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. And those things, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Confession, a very important thing. 
I'm glad we don't have confessionals, but the Bible does talk about confessing your sins to one another. And sometimes that's a good thing to do. If you've got someone that you trust and know, a leader, an elder in the church or, or whatever, or a good friend that under, understands and is mature. And you've got a big problem that you can't deal with, it's sometimes good to go and talk to them about it. Be careful who you talk to, but, you know, but they can't forgive you. So only God can forgive. We need to talk to him. A humble confession. The second thing that it challenges me, one was, do I really want to draw near to God and want him to be a major influence in my life? The second thing is that it asks me, this passage, this story, if I'm prepared to make the effort. That's a challenge that comes to me. Am I prepared to make the effort to start this journey? I think again of that girl in the church there how I prayed and fasted and I I fa- did find a way to talk to her once or twice but then one I decided what I'm going to do yes so I prayed I'd been fasting for a whole week just on water lost a lot of weight <laughs> and um, on the Tuesday night after the prayer meeting she was always in the prayer meeting as was I I said uh, do you mind if I walk home with you I decided I was going to take steps to do something. So I knew where she was lodging at the time. She was doing district nursing and she was lodging with another district nurse. And um, we walked to this place, not too far, a mile or so from the church. And she stood that side of the gate and I stood this side of the gate. Now, we'd never held hands or spoken tender words or anything like that, you know. And I said to her, and I'd been practicing for a whole week, exactly what I was going to say. Like this man, I'm going to say to my father, Father, I've sinned again. I got it all worked out, exactly what I was going to say. I said, I've decided I'm going to marry you and I won't take no for an answer. (laughs) Now, how many of you ladies would have taken that? But she didn't say no. She didn't say no. An actual fact. She said, well, I'm going to India as a missionary in four weeks' time. Well, she was going back to Germany first to itinerate some churches and then go. But I said, that's all right. But at that time, I was the manager, manager, managing director of a company in Coventry, a technical illustration and graphic design company and uh, I was doing rather well and uh, I said that's all right I said um, I'm going to Bible school I decided I'd already given my notice I'd given them a year's notice and I was going to go to Bible school and because I'd seen a call felt a call to pastoral work pastoral ministry and she said well I'm going to I'm going to India so, so we had just four weeks, uh, to get to know each other a bit better. And off she went to Germany and then off to India for nearly four years. Our courtship was done. With, she, there was no electricity where she was, but she had a battery-operated reel-to-reel tape recorder. 
and I had one as well, we sent these little reels. It would take about three weeks to get there and three weeks to get one back. back very romantic. And um, uh, we've still got all those tapes. <laughs> um, and um, after four years, or ne- nearly four years, uh, I'd finished in, I'd left my business, I'd finished in Bible school, she came back, and we got married twice. Once in the registry office in England, and she went straight off the, the same day to back to Germany, and two weeks later, I went over there, we got married in church. And uh, maybe that was the most important journey for me in my life, going over there to the church to get married to her. We've now been married for 57 years. Yes, 57 years. So it's, it's worked. The younger brother in our story, he'd also practiced what he was going to say. And he was prepared to make the effort. He got up and went and did it. If I hadn't made that effort and gone and I mean, I might not have put it so, so bluntly as I did. Maybe I should have been a little bit more, you know, considerate. <laughs> but um, I just knew it was right. And if she didn't get it, well, tough. <laughs> Disco- discovered actual- afterwards that actually she rather liked me anyway. <laughs> and um, so, and you know something? God rather likes you. He's rather fond of you. God so loved the world. He loves you. He cares about you. And he's standing and he's looking and he's wondering when you're going to come, if you haven't come already. He's waiting for you. He's waiting for you to pop the question, if you like, and say, if I'll open the door, I'll let you in. And if you've already done this journey, you're already on this journey, and you belong to him, rejoice in it. It was the most important journey you've ever made or will ever make. The journey out of the depths where you were. Oh, perhaps you weren't where this one was. But, you know, you were in the wrong place. And you came to the Father. Aren't you glad? I, I thank God for that every day. It's a term I use when I pray publicly, uh, perhaps a bit boringly. I thank God for touching my life. Uh, he touched my there He woke me up. God wants to do that for you. Only you and the Father know where you are on this journey. I don't know. Nobody else really knows. People can tell by looking at your life, usually. But you're the one that knows, and God knows. And it is the most important journey you'll ever make, or have ever made, because it's the only journey that takes us beyond time and into eternity. It finishes. Okay, we've reached the end of the journey in one sense when we came to Christ when we came to the cross. That's it. But the journey will take us on to be with him forever and forever and forever. I thank God for that. I I wonder where you are with it. Again, I hope hope you're all following him already. But I don't know. 
and I only, I've only shared with you what God put in my heart two weeks ago as I began to prepare for today. Let's just bow in prayer a moment. Lord, I thank you this morning for the privilege of bringing this message to these dear people. Thank you, dear Lord, that you know all about us. Nothing is hidden from you. You know what is real and what is sham. Lord, you know what is full-hearted and what is half-hearted. I pray, O oh God, that you will, you will, Lord, make sure before this day is finished that everyone in this room, Lord, shall be, will have come to the Father and be restored into the family with the blessing of salvation. Lord, I pray it in Jesus' name. And Lord, I thank you. I thank you again, Lord, for touching my life. Touch these lives, Lord. Those that know you and love you, Lord, touch them again. Lord, those perhaps who the flame has faltered and dimmed, Lord, reignite. In Jesus' name. And while we're bowed in prayer, if you have heard this morning and realised you've had a moment of enlightenment and you know that you're not on, the, you haven't started this journey, you're not where you ought to be, just raise your hand. We'll pray with you afterwards. Just raise up your hand and take it down again. Let me know. Lord, I bless you. Lord, Lord. Thank you, Father. Bless these people, I pray. And this fellowship, in Jesus' name.